looking back at that era, the Glasgow footballer, over that period, 60s through to 70s, it, it had the appearance that they were as strong as they could ever be. It was they, they were punching well above their weight as far as a, you know, a, a, a small uh, European city. Yeah. If you take even the international level, uh, we went down to England. England had just won the World Cup. And we beat them in their own paddock. You know, we beat them 2-1 at Wembley. And people say, well, why? You know, why is why is England? They had England. England were going to wipe the board with us. But we played just like at Lisbon. We played them off the field just by working hard with each other. And... and Steen was the guy who was actually picking the team, although Bobby Brown, ex-Rangers goalkeeper, was the manager. But Steen was the guy behind the scene because he wouldn't take the job part-time, but he used him as an advisor at the time. And that, that game, I got into the game by accident, I would say, Jimmy Johnson was supposed to play, but he got injured in the, the Saturday game. And he got treatment at the ground, and all the players had gone to Wembley. And the gaffer said to me at training, you go home, pack your bag, you're going to Wembley. And I thought, oh, fabulous. Because I'll be sitting on the bench, good view of the game, and you get so many tickets that you get a couple of thousand quid out of, and you get a wage. Oh, I thought, oh. Christmas come, <laughs> get to see the game and do it. When I got down there, I was in the team. Lucky you packed your boots. <laughs> I was, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, but they had 15, 18 players down there already, but Johnson hadn't travelled. So when I went down and the gaffer says, oh, you're playing? I said, what? I says, I'm only, I thought I was only coming sub. He said, no, no, you're in the side. But Steen, I didn't realise at the time, Steen was the guy pulling the, the strings. What did it mean to you to run out onto the pitch at Wembley oh, to play for Scotland? Fantastic and, feeling. Yep. Even the Rangers supporters were cheering us. <laughs> <laughs> so talk to me, so how does it, so can you remember how you felt running on that pitch? Oh, yeah, tremendous feeling. I had played before uh, Wembley in 2-2, I think it was. Uh, but two or three years before. I played twice before at Wembley. But that time it was a special feeling because it was a good team, a really good side. There was a lot of confidence and law and these guys were at the top of their, you know, Man United guys. And it was just a fantastic feeling. Even playing for your country, my first game was against Ireland, Northern Ireland. I've still got the cap there, the first cap. Uh, that was a fantastic day, a cap for your country, you know. You're growing up and used to listen in the radio, I'm talking about early 50s, you know, and Scotland would be playing somebody and listen, oh, I would like to be him, you know, I'd like to be him, all the old players and that. But uh, to get there and it's only now you realise it because when you're playing, you're a professional, you're doing your job and it's all just part and parcel of what should be happening, you hope. 
it's later on after you've retired, you think, gee, that was a good, a good thing to happen, you know. It was, but yeah, a lot of disappointments in your life as well, you know. You don't win everything, you know. And there's times you you think, well, maybe I should <laughs> just you know go into the cupboard and forget it for a while. But you, I mean. You don't win everything, but there are not there are not many people that can say they've gone to Wembley and beaten England. Oh no! no and that's right. there's even fewer people that can say that they were responsible for putting a star above the crest of the Celtic jersey. Oh yeah, and you yeah, are one of those people. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, as I say, it's when you're growing up and you're going through the stages of football, you never think about it. It's a job, you know, it's another job. And you, you sort of, uh, I've played with some great players and have walked away out of the game with nothing. You know, and I think, you know, they've played all, you know, for their whole careers and did well, played well for the clubs. And the only recognition they get is from their own clubs and they don't. Uh, I mean, I got voted in last year to the Hall of Fame in Scotland. You know, that's how long it takes a Celtic player to get in. That was a Rangers player he'd been in in 1954. <laughs> <laughs> you know. and, but, I mean, that's how it is in Scotland. You know, the majority of supporters in Scotland who support Celtic, uh, support Scotland, are Rangers supporters because the Celtic guys support Ireland. Ah, yes, yes. It's an Irish <laughs> club. So you can understand when Jimmy Johnson used to play for Scotland, which Jimmy gave away, he said, look, as I did in the end, I told them not to pick me anymore. And he got booed from Scottish fans playing at Hamden. Jimmy Johnson got Jimson booed. Jimson got booed every time he touched the ball. Not by the opposition, no by Welsh or Irish or whatever, by the Scottish supporters. But that's just how it was. That's how they are. It's not changed much. It's a bit better than it used to be. But uh, I don't know how they'll ever get rid of it, you know. And it's not one-sided, don't get me wrong. It's no all Rangers. It's kind of happen the other side. But there are good parts of it in the the rivalry oh, is what keeps Scottish football alive. Fantastic. I don't know how many old firm games I've played in, but I've never played in a bad one. <laughs> you know what I mean? You lose some, you win some, but always a tremendous atmosphere. Do you remember your first old firm game? Yeah, but the other thing, I remember going with Wraith Rovers, my first game ever against Rangers. And beat them three two Irish, where they throw us. So you know that yeah. is things people say. Oh, did you win? Like winning with Celtic. You know, we did that often yeah. with Celtic, but where they throw us was a that's an incredible achievement. It was, and Jimmy Baxter was playing in the side who finished up at Rangers. And, so to give people who don't know Scottish football yeah. um, an understanding of it, it would be similar to a, a Gold Coast team beating. Melbourne City. Melbourne City, yeah. yeah. The equivalent to beating the top in Australian football. Yeah. Uh, and it, the thing, I, it, it's the crowd, the atmosphere. 
when you're playing, I played many times in front of over 100,000 people. I've never heard a single voice yet. Is that true? That's true. You also, just hear a buzz. So what happens? Only one in the world was very good at it. It was little Jimmy Johnson. And Jimmy had a good eye for women. <laughs> and he would be standing at, we were playing at Hamden before the game, and my nickname was Wispy. And he said to me, Wispy, can you see that blonde? See the blonde up there? She was away at the back, about that size. <laughs> but you could see her. <laughs> and that, that, that's, the wee man was, it was funny. Yeah. I like that, you know, but oh, what a player he was. was. What sort of player was he? Fantastic. He was a bunny. He'd be the best player I played with to create goals at every level. I don't know whether you might not have seen the game we played in Alfredo Di Stefano's benefit game. The week after the... the week after oh, the yes. yes. Have you seen that? Yes, yes. <laughs> and he was, he had beaten the fullback that many times and he got the ball and he went to the fullback and he went. <laughs> and it was, the dinner after it, they all came up and spoke with a wee man and that. And, but he did it to everybody. It wasn't just one game. He played like that every week. He just couldn't get the ball off him. You know, it's just comfy and he was so tight controlled. The ball was there and he had practiced all his life with a tennis ball, but no cover on it. It wasn't anything, it was just a little rubber thing he played. That's all he had, that's all he could afford as a kid. And he could go in and out milk bottles or anything without touching them before he was age of nine. And fantastic. Just could be that's all he did. And when he went into Celtic as a junior, they couldn't believe it. Yeah. They had him playing at 16, 17, you know. It's just, it doesn't matter what level of football you are. Your boy plays football, does he? Yeah. He's got to train every day. Yeah. Hard two and three hours a day, all his life, he'll have to do it, and that—that's a fact. You don't even when you get to the top level, you got to train harder and more. We we used to get the training sessions would be eleven o'clock to twelve, officially, but we were there at nine o'clock, doing things on our own and different things, and in the gym. Every day, there'd be a fight because there was only four aside for the head tennis, and that's where you learned all your skills, your control, and all that. And we'd be playing in that gym for hours, hours. Dalgleish, Macari, all these guys. That was part of their upbringing as well. And they used to love it because they had yeah. to wait at the side because they were the juniors, they were the kids. And we saw where a man shot you come, you know, and. But every day at Celtic Park, that gym, from one o'clock in the day, was packed till five at night. Somebody playing, they were all playing. And that was a big, important thing. You didn't even think about it. You didn't mm. think you were doing yourself any good, but you were. All the ball control, because the ball had only one bounce on your side. So there was four years you had to keep it up and... 
either finish with a header or get it over, then wait for it coming back, and you know. Yeah. And to get a game, it was like buying a lottery ticket. <laughs> you know, everybody was in doing that, all the kids, and they grew up on it. But the facilities in these days only what they are now. You look at this, we're sitting in front of now. I mean, this is junior football. If you'd have went to Parkhead the day after Celtic won the European Cup, it was a dump. Absolute dump. In the dressing rooms, everything. It was after that they changed it. They built a new stadium. And it was a little guy called... Oh, I can see his face. Came from the same hometown as my wife. Went to America, made his millions. Fergus McCann, and he built the new stadium at Parkhead. The old board when you when you build your nest. <laughs> well, I'm telling you, the the, the uh, stools, the the benches had been there since before the war. Wow. When when we won the European Cup. That's incredible. But you won the European Cup. We had won the European Cup. Yeah. Despite that, because of the tenacity of the players and the, the mind of, of, of an incredible manager. Exactly, yeah. Can you talk to me about that experience? When when did you believe that you could win the European Cup? When did you as a collective think that's what we need to, or did you ever set your sights to win that European we, Cup? We never doubted we had the ability to do it. And the, the thing that was always in the back of the mind, no <clears throat> non-Latin country had ever won it. It all been the Italians, the Spanish, Portuguese. Uh, we, we just played every game as it came. You know, but for a club like Celtic to get for that period of time from 65 through to the 70, 71, they went to two finals, another two semi-finals, and the rest were all quarter-finals. So it wasn't a, a spark that happened once. It was this, the club had changed and... Steen's ideas was we want to be there. If we are there, we can win the Scottish League easy. We don't need to worry about the Scottish League. Well, we worry about it, but it's not going to be a hard task. If you're beating the best in Europe, you can cope with the best in Scotland. Do you, do you remember the final? I do, yeah. I remember a lot of parts of it. Uh, I had a special job to do as Stevie Chalmers and I had. And it was just simply to occupy. They played with two central defenders and they were brilliant at switching. You know, one would come pick you, the other guy would be the stopper at the back. And we just had to keep them changing. If they're doing that, they weren't had their eye in the game and it gave us a chance to, to build things wide. As if you watch the final, that's where it all came down each side. And the full-back scored the goal. Tommy Gale scored the first goal. And that, it was all, I can't say planned. It was a night, it was something put to us that could happen. 
that this is you, you will create chances if you play like this you'll not get the chances but people in the midfield where Bobby Murdoch shot and Stevie just got a touch on the second goal just that, that was something we practiced all the time if you were in the box particularly inside that six yard line you never stopped anything because you don't get time and you become aware of where you are with the markings on the field where the goal is so you touch it or you head it on and that's all Steve did Paul came in he just touched it the goalkeeper was waiting for him to stop it and he got caught flat footed and just watched the ball trickle so it was just doing things easy I suppose rather than stopping it and starting to turn and it was all practiced and it just worked for us. Did you feel like you were holding on to towards the end or did you feel like you no, were no, coming we, home? Sorry, we, we felt we could score again if we went up. I mean, the pressure is a little bit more at the end, but they had no shots at goal. I think they had three shots in the whole 90 minutes. Yeah. And even Herrera said, you know, he couldn't believe that they couldn't create anything. They normally had one guy up and he was brilliant working on his own and create things, but we'd worked it out that there was always two with him. I mean, Neil and Clark were always there with him. So how did it feel to, to win that European Cup first team in Britain to ever win it and then come home to Glasgow? I don't think I realised what it was all about until we got to Glasgow and see everybody in Scotland. There's got to have been a few range of supporters in there as well. The, the, the ones with some sense that a Scottish team had won the European Cup, you know. And that's, that was a fantastic experience driving through Glasgow. Every window streets were just packed with people you know it was just an experience that I suppose you would only get once in your lifetime you know a very select few people would get once in a lifetime yeah it is it's I mean there's only 11 players on the field yep. as well it was and at that time I think there was only a goalkeeper could be substituted there wasn't you know substitution it's uh, I think when I sit and reflect on it, now I get more pleasure out of it than I did right after it. Because we still started another season not that long after it. You know, we started again. I'll tell you a story. When my son was, I think, three years old, yes, I was wearing a Celtic top. We were watching, I think they, it would have been when they came to Australia and they played the Raw. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. And we're sitting at Suncorp Stadium and he touches this little star above the crest. And he says, Daddy, what's that about? What's this for? And I said, son, that's because Celtic won the European Cup and that's a big deal, so they put it on top. Top, yeah. When you look at that crest now yeah. and see that star, what, what goes through your mind? Yeah, but <laughs> if you think back at that time, Celtic didn't even a number on the back of the shirt. And it was always a round neck, cheap as you can buy, umbro t-shirt basically and 
I can always remember them too. The guy who's a good friend of mine, Bobby Brown, he was the, the executive manager for Umbro and, at the time in Admir uh, Adidas. And he said to me, he says, you know, we offered to do a New Jersey for the final. And they said, no, 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 no. Now, Celtic would be the most miserable club in the world for spending money. Up in the loft, in the treatment room, there was boxes and boxes of these old round neck. That's what we played in. Yeah. They got these old boxes down and the shorts and everything. They probably had them for 20 years. And we played, we didn't have even new jerseys. Well, they were new, but 20 years old. But that, the club itself, it had a, an Irish reputation. They wanted big spending money. Didn't matter what it was for. We would have been probably the lowest paid players ever to win the European Cup. And all from within a very short distance of Glasgow. All born within 27 miles. What what has changed in in football now, particularly for Scotland, Glasgow, Celtic, uh, Rangers? Um, and can they repeat what happened in 1967? Can, can a Scottish team win the yes. European Cup? Yeah, I think so. I think any club who are organised and have good players can win the European Cup. doesn't matter what nationalities. I mean, we were all Scots guys. We were all Scotsmen. Uh, the only club that ever did it and I think ever will do it because even the clubs nowadays have, all the clubs have foreigners playing with them. And it was an achievement that it was never happened before that and it'll never happen again. Hmm. 11 Scotsmen, all within 27 miles, born when the top thing, you know, in the world, in Europe. But the, the thing that today, I think it's a lot easier. You get more chances to stay in the competition. Because the old days, everybody went in, in the hat. Nowadays, they're seeded. Hmm. So you got a chance to get through the, the early bells. But we, we didn't, it didn't matter. You could, I mean, the, the, the first game, the next season in Europe was the Russian top champions in Kiev. <laughs> Not an easy team. Yep. And yet, over the years, it didn't matter when Real Madrid were winning, they won it six in a row or something and Every year they got somebody from Northern Ireland or first round they got an easy mark. We were the only club ever that before that had got a real contender in the first round. But that's, that's, that's like, that's, you got to meet them sometime. Yeah. So, you know, it's, I mean, we got through, we beat them. We beat them over two matches, but still was a tough ask. Mm. But being involved in it at the time, you don't think about it. It's no, you're not up there in the clouds or anything. 
you're still playing football and you've got 11 other guys or 14 other guys with you. Been a fantastic experience. It's, I mean, as most people, I hope, in my position would say, I was lucky. And gifted. Oh, you've got to have a bit of talent. And hard working. Yes. So there is there is more than luck. There, there is. You've got yeah. to have a sense of, you know, that you're there and hoping to get there yeah. every day. No, that you're there and will never be there. Did you ever doubt yourself? Uh, not really. I've never, I've... They say you're either too stupid if you don't doubt yourself or you're going all right. Yeah. I don't. I, I never, ever felt that I'd let anybody down with a game because when I went out there, I wanted to play. Yeah. I couldn't understand guys who went out just, oh, I don't feel like it. Mm. It's what, what you love, isn't it? Is it? It almost seems like a silly question you're asking it, but I think I need to in case I'm wrong. But what is your greatest memory in football? My greatest memory in football is actually signing my first full-time contract. And again, it comes back to money. Yeah. So I went from £3 a week to £14 a week. My father was earning £7 a week. He's trade. I'm talking 50, yeah. 52, 55. But to go, I, I was earning three pounds a week with Stenhouse Muir. And I went full time at Wraith Rovers for 17 pounds a week. 17 pounds. I couldn't believe it. I thought, well, you know, I've won a lot of so. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, it was, you paid tax even then, you know, you paid a couple of quid and tax and every April depending on how well you did you got a bit of it back from the government so mm. used to look forward to April coming around and that was the money you got in Mallorca <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah but it was I couldn't have asked for a better life awesome you've, you've uh, certainly provided a rich context to an incredible history of not only uh, Glasgow Celtic and also your own journey yeah this. It, can I say something? Sure. It's not finished. Well, can I say thank you from a, a Celtic supporter? I've interviewed um, some amazing footballers. I've never been more excited in my life than to be oh, sitting down and you. talking yeah. to you. So thank you very much. I've, one thing that as you probably know, Steen made it clear to us the most important people were on the terraces with green shots. They are Celtic, and that's who you play for every week. Thank you for joining me in this episode of The Gospel According to Willie Wallace. You can listen to this podcast at Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Deezer, and Pocket Cast. My name is Stuart Taylor. Stay safe. Stay safe.